Hello, friends, and welcome to the show. At Boss Builder Podcast, we want to make sure that you, the boss, have the tools and resources you need to be successful. And that's why we like to start the show out with Colleague Callout. If you need to get your car fixed, if you need somebody who can come and do some contract work around your house, you don't want to rely on web ads. You want to rely on word of mouth. And so what I want to do is build a community of people that I trust that you, in turn, can also trust as well. So today, two resources. Number one resource, if you have process problems with your organization. Number two, you have an issue with your own self. Let's start with process first. Before you go to complain to HR about people, make sure your own house is in order. Make sure your business processes are working efficiently. There is nobody better in the business than my friend Paul Critchley from New England Lean Consulting. Paul's an engineer, so he sees things very rationally, very data-based. He will help you using his Six Sigma Lean Consulting background to be able to help you get your house in order. He works with manufacturers, healthcare. He's a great guy. Give him a call. You can reach him at NewEnglandLeanConsulting.com. Now, maybe your boss has told you, you need to get your act together. You have the skills as a manager, but you are lacking in these other areas. We always, of course, would recommend coaching rather than more training. You can get too much training. Coaching, on the other hand, is very different. You work with a coach. Together, you co-create solutions. Then you put those lessons into practice. You get yourself back where you need to be. You do not want to mess around with an unqualified coach. And that's why we recommend our strategic coaching partner, Margie Bush of Wisdom Tree Coaching. We send all of our coaching work there. If right now you have an employee that needs coaching, go to wisdomtreecoaching.com. If you yourself have been told or you self-identify, I need somebody to partner with me, hold me accountable, help me co-create solutions to help me be more effective, you need to contact Wisdom Tree Coaching as well. Reach out to them, wisdomtreecoaching.com. You can trust them because I trust them. Today's episode is a little bit different than what we typically have on Boss Builder Podcast. One of the things that I hope you realize as the boss is that you go no place without a strong, strategic HR partner. Right now, you could be listening to this and saying, I hate HR. All they do is tell me I can't do stuff. Well, you may not know this, but their job is to make sure you all don't get into trouble. I recommend you view HR as your tag team partner in a wrestling match. It's important that you understand what they go through and what they can provide for you. Our guest today is Ed Crow. He is actually a consultant that works with organizations, particularly helping HR departments become more strategic. This is actually designed for HR professionals. It's on their podcast at HR Oxygen. I thought it would be beneficial for you. If you can understand what your HR team goes through, you can use them more effectively and treat them more empathetically. That's what they need. You treat them well, they will have your back. Ed is the author of Strategic HR, Driving Bottom Line Results Through Your People. He's a great speaker. He's got some awesome stories. So why don't we quit talking about Ed? Let's talk to him. Let's buckle up, get ready. Sally, take us away. Welcome to the Boss Builder Podcast. Crow, welcome to the show. 
Hey, great to be here, Mac. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. Listen, I guess uh, for the purpose of the audience wondering how I met you, I think I met you several years ago. It was the Pennsylvania State HR Conference. Yes, and it was. Then, yeah, and that was, I think, about three years ago, two years ago. I can't oh, remember. That's right, yeah. Yeah, and then I ran into you again at the Louisiana State Conference in Baton Rouge, and I mm-hmm. was finishing up a talk, and you came in behind me, and we said hello real quick, and that was it. But I see you all the time on LinkedIn. You are an HR strategist. You are an author. You have a new book that's out. We want to talk about that book. Okay. But before we get into the topic today, which is why strategic HR, uh, please tell us about yourself, Ed. Tell us your background, what your expertise is, and uh, and then we'll get into some of these questions we have. Sure, sure. Thank you. So before I, I got into uh, consulting and, and helping other companies, I, I cut my management teeth at UPS. And, you know, I, I think that that experience of working with, with not just a large company, but having had some rotations through operations has made me the HR professional that I am today. And uh, after that, I, I was in a, a large uh, top 40 accounting firm that was growing like mad and had both internal HR responsibilities there as well as some external consulting work. And uh, so I've gotten to see how two very differing organizations manage people. Uh, You've got the the old blue chip UPS, been around the block, 100-year-old company, and unionized. And then the professional world of accounting that was growing through acquisitions and, and Kind of climbing the the leaderboard, as it were, uh, in terms of the number of clients served through those acquisitions, and so um, I, I think that that it really rounded me out, and it impacted me as an HR person because it it helped me to realize that HR is so much more than compliance and paperwork and documentation. Well, I think when people think about HR, that's kind of what they think about. I mean, we see the whole range, right? From mm-hmm. I am the I am the the handbook Nazi all the way down to I'm the one that plans the parties. <laughs> yeah. And, and at least from what I've seen, you know, no one really gets a clear expectation, especially if you are listening to this and you were the first ever HR person. Now that looks sweet on your resume. Mm-hmm. But I bet there's a whole bunch of expectations you never thought you'd be expected to do. So I don't know. It seems like it's a field that even though it's defined, Ed, it's not really clearly defined. Has that been your experience? Yeah. Um, it, it's almost, you know, that old saying, beauty's in the eye of the beholder. I, I feel like HR's value is in the eyes of the C-suite. And so it changes from company to company what their expectations are. And from, from what I've been seeing, larger companies seem to get it. They, they get that if they're going to differentiate themselves, especially in an economic environment that we're in now where really candidates are, are in control of the process, um, they, they've got to differentiate themselves. But as you move away from that, say, Fortune 1000, and you get into those mid-sized companies, you start to see that HR is that more administrative type function, and please just keep me out of hot water and just just get me bodies in seats kind of mentality. Yeah, well, that's a tough place to be because, you know, what I've seen is that you bring someone in who is 
you know, you're our HR, we really need HR. And the first thing HR is does is get you into the compliance that you needed to be in that you haven't been in since you started the company. Right. And then all of a sudden the fund's over, right? Now it's like, hey, you can't do this. Well, wait a minute. I'm the CEO. I'm the owner of the company. Who are you to tell me? Well, the answer is I'm HR. Yeah, that's right. why you hired me, right? Right. Yeah, so today, I, uh, well, today's CEO, what do they expect? I mean, and, and I know this is a big question because you've worked with the, the largest of companies and I'm sure you've worked with some small ones. Absolutely. Baseline, what's the expectation? So uh, let me give you two examples on that front. Um, as I was, was writing the book, I was interviewing CEOs on this exact scenario. And I had one gentleman, I had actually known him. He uh, was the head of sales at a former client of mine and left there and actually started a, a competing entity. And when we were chatting, and he's, he's grown the company nicely over the last dozen or so years, and he said, Ed, I don't have an HR person, and I don't want one. And I said, um, but at the size you are, don't you feel like, he says, you know what, uh, I rely on my attorney for some of that stuff, and I know it costs me more money, but here's why I don't want HR. I've seen throughout my career that all HR does is tell people what they can't do instead of saying, okay, within the framework of regulations or best practices, here's where I think we need to go to have maximum impact on this initiative. And he said, I got tired of hearing no. I want someone who, who will help me to grow my business and not tell me all the things I can't do. Kind of hard to argue with the man. <laughs> right, right. And then I was chatting with, with the CEO of a, of a client who uh, their HR person had just left. And interestingly enough, this CEO started his career in HR and then went over into sales and some ops. And so he's, he's a re really well-rounded CEO. And he said, Ed, my next director of HR is coming from outside of the HR world. I said, okay, tell me about that. And he said, you know, I've got some HR generalists in the organization and they know the basics. They can recruit and, and they can do the employer relations and that basic stuff. He said, but what I want out of my next director of HR is a great communicator. Being that, that I've got solid generalists and that I was in HR for a while, I know that any gaps in their knowledge we can fill in. But I want someone who can communicate our message, get our people um, to buy into that message and the vision. And he ended up bringing in someone out of a marketing function to be their director of HR. Wow. Well, I guess that's really outside the normal standards then. Uh, yeah, absolutely. But it's, it's, I, I checked in with him uh, a couple weeks ago and he said, it's working. So, uh, you know, I, and when, when you think about it, Mac, and, and you've probably seen this too, is that the average HR person hasn't gone to college for HR anyway. And so, um, you know, I think that there's some, there's a bit of wisdom in what this gentleman did. Um, I, you know, I, I would agree with him that communication is where it's at. And, and I've run into plenty of folks, not just in HR, but plenty of folks in, in management roles that struggle to communicate and, and that really impacts their effectiveness. So the one-two punch of success is, number one, the ability to communicate well. And I guess from what you said, to be able to not always say no, but how would we say this? Yes, but, right? Or what do they say? <laughs> yes, and? Or yes, and. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> 
<laughs> oh my God, puts you in a tough place to be. You know, just from what you've seen, what is the benefit for somebody who wants to be on this path right out of college? I mean, would you recommend they get a degree in HR? Would you recommend they go on and get a master's in business? What What would you see as the best path? I, I think either. Um, it, it, it's my one regret that uh, early in my career when I, I went for my master's that I, I didn't get an MBA. And certainly, I guess I, I could convert it at some point. But, um, you know, in following that idea of being well-rounded, if you're coming out with an HR degree, I'd almost say, gosh, make sure you get some really solid business classes, even if you don't want to take that MBA. If you're coming out with a, a well-rounded business degree, Sure, you could probably take some SHRM classes and get up to speed on HR compliancy kind of stuff pretty quickly. Right. So, yeah, I think for someone who's starting out, um, what, what disturbs me is um, on the flip side of that, I had uh, I was at an HR mixer a little while back, and uh, we were getting to know some of the, the new folks to the profession that were there. And as I'm chatting with this one young lady, uh, she said, yeah, I'm new to HR. And, and I said, well, you know, where did you come from? She said, I came out, of, I'm coming out of social work. I said, oh, well, that's an interesting transition. And she said, yeah, you know, HR has always intrigued me. And I decided I was going to get into HR and prove that not every HR person is mean. <laughs> I thought, well, not a career goal that I guess I would strive for, but okay. And I walked away thinking, okay, I get it but where's the business acumen you're bringing in to the HR function? Uh, that, that worries me. And so, gosh, I wish more HR people would, would take pure business classes to understand how business works. Yeah. I, everything that I see in my travels really speaks to that. I, I talked to the GM of a plant as a manufacturer, they're up in New Jersey and, the HR director, his name is Pete. I won't say more than that. I think he's a VP now. But the GM told me, he said, Pete is the best guy I have ever seen in HR. But Pete's background is in business and operations. And he just later decided, I'm going to focus on this. So if you, you if, if you don't fit that model and you listen to this podcast, you don't go and resign today and say, well, I don't have any business, so I'm going to just quit. But I think, so we know then, Ed, we could get a degree in business and then go to HR classes. What would you suggest then for the HR professional who's got the degree in HR and doesn't have a lot of experience in business? Is there a path you would see them going to bring up the other half of that equation? Yeah. Um, aside from formal classroom training, uh, make sure you've always got a business book uh, that you're reading. Uh, you know, Expand your, your business horizons. And, and, and I do the same thing. I love to read and, and obviously I, I like to read fiction, but I always have some books going um, right. Right now I'm reading a key person of influence. Uh, one of the authors is Kevin Harrington, who was one of the original uh, sharks. And uh, it's intriguing. I read a lot of John Maxwell on leadership and, and the various facets that leadership can take in your life and in your organization. And I think that, that that's probably where the average HR person has the most chance for improvement is, is in developing their personal leadership skills and their influence inside their org organization. 
And so some of that would come from, can I read a spreadsheet and a P&L? But I think just how, as a profession, we carry ourselves is critical to change as well. That, that we, we shouldn't be knocking on that executive suite door saying, let me in. I mean, they should be opening the door saying, get in here. We're not making a decision without you. But that's not going to come until we can talk the talk of the C-suite, which isn't all about, well, what's our turnover percentage and how many open positions do we have? Wow. Well, if you're going to make this a career, this is like anything else. The harder you work at it, the better you become, the more valuable you become, the better job security and more money you make. I mean, that's that's a good formula right there. Mm-hmm. Well, so Ed, you're a reader, but you are also a writer. So tell us about the book because this is brand new, right? Brand new. Uh, just, just came off the press two weeks ago. Uh, it's been a, a, a year in the making. And uh, yeah, I, uh, I I got to thinking that, you know, like you, Mac, I, I have blogs out there and articles I've written and uh, folks tend to tell me that they, they enjoy the insights that I share. And I thought, well, I feel like there's so much more and there's only so much you can cover in a, in a short blog post or, or article. And so uh, about the last year at this time, I went, went down this road of, of pulling my thoughts together in more detail in, in a book. And what I didn't want it to be was another book on how to manage your HR function or, or, or how to set up an HR function. There are plenty of books out there on that. What I wanted to tackle was this idea of how and why HR must become strategic. Uh, they, they have to be a player just like every other business function that, that they're contributing to bottom line results. And so that's actually how I ended up with the title of the book. It's, it's strategic HR driving bottom line results through your people. And, and, and I like to think of it as a roadmap for executives to say, okay, how do I take what I've got now? Whether that is no HR function to speak of, or whether that's a, an HR function that is doing the basics and how do I get them to the next level? And uh, so that, that's the journey that, that we go, go through in the book. Uh, early comments are coming in. I, I just had lunch with a gentleman yesterday who has finished it already wow. and said Ed loved, loved every page of it. Um, he loves the fact that throughout the book, uh, I've got some QR codes that, that folks can hold their phone up to and up will pop. Um, you know, me talking further about that topic. He thought that was so cool that that was in there. Uh, and so it's been, it's been a lot of fun, quite honestly. And, and I'm looking forward mostly to getting more feedback like that, that, that these, these business executives are saying, gosh, I, I've been missing this from my HR, and now I know I should expect more from them. Wow. So this book is really, the audience are the executives, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and certainly a lot of the sales that I see coming through are HR people, and I'm very thankful for that because they can certainly read this and learn from it and, and uh, work from inside their their own department to make it strategic. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I think, in fact, one of the, the reviews, early reviews that I had on the manuscript, a gentleman said, you know, this book's a must read for any age, sophisticated HR person and the executives who manage them. Well, that's so, great. Well, that's a broad audience. But I tell you what, get those two on the same page. Things get really good, don't they? Absolutely. And the... 
what saddens me is, is I feel sometimes that there is an expectation within the HR function that we should be viewed as important by the C-suite rather than making ourselves important to the C-suite. And obviously those are two very different uh, angles. And uh, if we can make ourselves important to them, then we will be important. And, and so I guess I'm a bit of a, a rebel within the HR profession that, that I look at us and I, and I can see our profession warts and all and the things that we need to change to become the strategic player that, that business today need HR to be. Well, it seems like every conference that I go to, people have those breakout sessions, how to get a seat at the table. And yet, you know, when I'm waiting to go on and do my talk or just kind of making the rounds in the afternoon, most of the time it's HR folks that are commiserating about the fact they don't have a seat. They're with their community. And so that's their, you know, that's their safe spot to vent and complain about things. But you're saying a proactive approach is going to get them that seat rather than just hope and pray you get one, right? Right. And, and Mac, my, my experiences mirror yours. Uh, you and I run in the same circles, and, and, and I see it as well, that these folks, um, they, they want to be accepted and they want to be part of that leadership team. And yet when I talk to them, especially if I can get them one-on-one, I try to help them see, well, if you're not there, it's because there is some lack of perception of value. And the only way you can overcome that is if you're willing to take an honest look at how you present yourself when you're in these meetings. And I I was one of the the clients I was working with uh, late last year, I was brought in by the the CEO and, and he said, Ed, my HR function doesn't do anything for me. I got eight people up there and I don't know what they're doing. And so I sat down and, you know, it became a really nice process, but I recall one discussion with the HR director and she said, Ed, I get invited to all the board meetings and the C-suite meetings and the owners. Yeah, I get invited to all that and I give my presentation and out I go. I said, well, okay, so giving a presentation and being in the meeting are two very different things. And she said, well, uh, they don't even give a rip what I have to say. I said, well, you know, give me an example. Tell me what, what, an average monthly meeting looks like. She goes, oh, well, I prepare the statistics and I walk in and I'll tell them how many open positions we have and what we're doing to recruit and what our turnover's been. And I mockingly sat there with her and closed my eyes and nodded my head like I was falling, falling asleep. <laughs> and she, she looks at me, she says, what? I said, don't you see the problem? Owners don't care about any of that. You need to talk to them in terms they care about, which is the impact on the business. Don't tell me I've got 5% turnover. As an owner, I don't know what that means. Am I losing good people? Am I losing bad people? Is it people at a certain level, a certain department? I, I don't know. You're not telling me any of that. Tell me what it's costing me. Tell me I'm losing. You know, Gosh, we got to care because the top 5% that just left, they were some of our best performers and longest term employees. Now, all of a sudden, you've got my attention. Um, Don't tell me how many open positions I have. Tell me what it's costing me and what we need to do to get those positions filled. Is it that we're not paying enough? Our benefits aren't competitive? Our work environment needs help? What is it? Those are the, the kinds of discussions that HR has to have 
with management. And once they say it's a simple switch, Mac, that's what I think. If, mm-hmm. Back to our opening comments about communication. Gosh, if, if you can flip that switch and learn to communicate with these C-suite folks in the, the way that they want to hear, you'll be in that meeting and be first on the agenda every single time. Yeah, it's a great place to be. Well, you know, if you're listening to this podcast today, you're probably saying, I've heard this before. I know I should do it. But let's think about it. You get your ass kicked by somebody. You have a choice. You can run and never fight again. Or you say, wow, that hurt. I'm going to go and I'm going to train and I'm going to get ready and I'm going to come back and I'm going to attack this thing. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what I think Ed and I are really trying to stress here is don't give up. I, this happens. This is part of life. Not having that influence. Ed's got the formula to get you there. He's got the training program to get you there. And it sounds like it's all about treating this thing like it's a business, maybe even your own business, mm-hmm. which if it's your own business, you're going to be really looking at those specific questions, right? Absolutely. Um, you know, we've got a, we, when I say we as a profession, and that, that comes back to our comments on, on being a well-rounded HR professional, we have to know what buttons we are pushing at what points in time are having what impacts on the business. And if we can't do that, we're, we're going to struggle. Um, I, I've been in, in discussions with a company the last two weeks on a project, and, and it's a, a steel fabrication, you know, very rough and tumble, blue collar, welder kind of environment, right? Their HR person refuses, and I'm, I'm not exaggerating, refuses to go out on the shop floor to talk to people. Mm-hmm. Will not go out to job sites to talk to people. She catches them in the in the break room on their lunch break to talk to them about various things. She calls them at home in the evenings to talk to them. The people can't stand her. And, and we're wondering why. Why does HR have the reputation it has? Mm-hmm. You know, I look at that and I this is going to sound harsh to the listeners, but I look at that and say that person has no business being in our profession. None. Wow. Yeah, that's harsh. It's harsh. But again, why are we doing this, Ed? We're not doing it to, to beat you down. This you is the formula for getting that respect, right? Right. Uh, you know, it, it, how can you how can you recruit a welder if you're not willing to walk out on the floor and see what a welder goes through every day? How, how can you recruit a truck driver if you're not willing to hop on the truck and see what a day in the life of a truck driver is like? I mean, those are all things that, that I did early on in my career. And I, I didn't think twice about it. It wasn't something I planned out. I just thought, well, I want to see what this guy or gal does all day. You know, maybe it'll help me out. And so I did it. And they weren't necessarily fun days, you know, because I'm thinking about all the other things that, that uh, could be done. You know, those were the days before smartphones. So you came back to a plethora of voicemails and, <laughs> and paper messages. But those days not only helped me then to, to be a better HR person, but again, I think it's made me who I am today, which is, is a, a more well-rounded just business person and understanding, okay, what, what buttons do, need to be pushed in an organization to make things happen? And, and I really wish more HR folks would adopt that mentality. Um, I, you know, I used to take it so far as if, if I was hiring for third shift, we interviewed at two in the morning. Now, I don't want to be up at two in the morning. I don't think there's too many people that do, much less being at work at two in the morning. 
well, why would I interview a third shift person at noontime? Never made any sense to me. I want to see if they can be coherent in an interview when they'd be working and when I need them coherent. And when I talk to our folks, they, they kind of look at me like, you've lost your mind. I would never do that. Well, here we are. <laughs> yeah. Well, not easy. Well, if we're going to change this then, so the plan is HR has got to be more strategic. So should an HR professional or a team build a strategic plan for their department? And what would that look like? Uh, short answer, absolutely. <laughs> uh, and, and it can take a lot of different forms. Um, you know, you, you have the old SWOT analysis uh, that, that are such a part of strategic plans, and that's okay. But when I look at strategic planning for HR, uh, I like to look at it in, in a number of different ways. And that's, you know, first off, what, what's going on in your environment, the environment of your organization, but also the environment of the outside world? You know, we've, again, we, we know we've got ultra low unemployment and, and everything. That, that's an environmental factor that's impacting us in HR. We know healthcare costs are going up. That's driving our benefits. We have to understand all of those things. And then work that into our plan of, okay, how are we going to, to manage through this scenario? Uh, I had an organization that because of the rising healthcare costs, every year for four straight years, they changed benefit providers as a way to manage costs. So on one hand, they were able to tell people, hey, you're only getting like a $10 increase each month this year that we, we kept this down. Okay, the people were appreciative of that. But they were still revolting over, wait a minute, now my doc's not in the network. They were in the network last year. Oh, last year, this prescription wasn't covered. Now it is. Oh, now next year, it's not again. The mass chaos they created, not to mention the work that, that went into changing those plans every year, was, was a time suck and didn't have the resultant impact. And again, it was, it was being too short-sighted and looking only at the cost and saying, what's the impact to the, the greater organization with that one simple decision? So we need to understand those things. We need to look at what our employment brand is in the marketplace. And a, a lot of folks don't know that term. And, and if you don't, simply look at it this way. Your company has a marketing brand that says who you are and what you're about. And, and that's what will drive customers to you. Your employment brand is, is a semi-mirror image of that, but it's who you are and what you're about from an employee standpoint. And getting that message right is what's going to draw candidates to you. And so a, a lot of HR folks don't have any idea what their employment brand is, what their message is in the marketplace that, that they're going out with. That's got to be a part of your strategic plan is getting that developed. Um, and the, the more that I've worked on that concept, the more I've come to believe that it's the one most critical thing that's missing in most HR functions is not focusing on their employment brand. Well, you know, companies spend, I don't know how many dollars on branding experts. Mm -hmm. it, but that's the intent though, is that they, the branding is done to draw people towards you. Right now, you may be in a position where as HR, your brand is don't come near me or here's the one I see all the time. There's HR and the door shut. Right. And there's a little white. There's a little thing hanging there where you could write your message on it. Mm -hmm. 
<laughs> and and that's that's the brand you're giving off. We're, we're this is the barrier. You can't come in. We'll get around to you. So uh, it's it's really switching everything up, isn't it? Yeah, and 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 honestly, if your employment brand isn't supporting your marketing brand, sooner or later the marketing brand's going to suffer. Um, and, you know, I think about well, it doesn't, doesn't help when you have things like Glassdoor when people end up leaving. You know, right. it isn't the people that had a great experience that want to write an, a, a review on it, are they? Exactly. Exactly. It, it's out there now, and and I mean, I worked with a medical practice, and these guys uh, they were specialists, and if you had the the problem that they solved, you went to them. They're just, they're that good in our region. And yet the employment brand of that organization was in the toilet. It was so bad that employees would not refer their friends to come work there. Now they would tell those very same friends, come get treated by our docs because they're the best. They wouldn't refer their friends to come work with them. Wow. That That is a... a <laughs> a big, ugly black hole of death coming fast at them as a company if they don't figure that out. And uh, we, we've got them on the path. But, you know, there were things going on there like, gee, um, I turned your name in, Mac, as a referral. HR never once called you. So you mm -hmm. ended up going somewhere else. Uh, they had a situation. I talked to an employee. She said, yeah, I've been here for six months. And about two months ago, HR called me and see if I wanted to come in for an interview. <laughs> like for, for promotion? Oh, no, no, no. They had pulled my resume out and asked me if I wanted to, to come interview for an opening. Wow. And again, I was trying to be clear. She's like, no, Ed, they didn't even know I worked here. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I was, was hoping that maybe there was just kind of a mistake somewhere. How does that happen? Uh, that... Those are little things. I mean, you can't make this stuff up. And Mac, I know you see it too. Um, those little, if you can't get the little things right, forget being a strategic player in your company. Yeah. And I know this is really harsh for some folks right now because they're, they're in the middle of this right now. But I guess to, if you care about your career and you care about your success, then look at your department. That's a reflection of you. And mm -hmm. Wow. I mean, that's, and I mean, I, I can understand how that happens. You get busy with stuff and, you know, everything is tracked electronically now. So things pop up, but how embarrassing, right? How embarrassing to say, yeah, I, I know I've been working here six months. You didn't even know that, did you? <laughs> exactly. You've been cutting me a paycheck. And, uh, <laughs> I had, I had, a, and this one was a, was a personal one to me. Um, when I was at the, the accounting firm, one of the things that happened is on your birthday, you got a little card in the mail with a gift card in it. You know, a nice little thing. Now, those that know me well know that my, my first name, Ed is my middle name. My first name is Michael. So, of course, all legal documents have Michael on it. So, now, mind you, I'm in the HR function. <laughs> I get my, my little card at my birthday addressed to Michael Crow. Mm -hmm. I'm like, really? So I got on the phone to the lady in HR. She was in another facility that, that was handling this. I said, hey, thanks for the card. Oh, thanks, Ed. It was so great. To... I said, what's my name? She goes, well, Ed. And I said, why did my card say Michael? Hmm. And she got quiet. And I, I know why, right? She pulled it down off the employee report, and she's just going through it. And I said, this cannot happen. It's insulting to our people. I get it. I get what you're doing. I get what happened. It can't happen, though. If we can't get our people's names right, 
least the name that they prefer to be called, um, we're really lost. Yeah. Well, Michael, let me run another scenario by you then. Um, All right. All right. So I can remember this is years and years ago. I was working as the management education specialist at a large hospital in Maryland. And so it was an HR department of about 15. It was pretty big. Mm -hmm. But the head of this, and I'm not going to use names because she probably still runs in these circles. Uh, I'll just give her nickname. And that was Cruella. <laughs> she she had she was the face of HR and it was an ugly face and, and it was a absolute zero respect for that department. And yet there was a few folks in that department that did not want to accept that. And I think there was maybe two or three of us that just sort of wanted to be like the HR that everybody really wanted, the ones that would actually listen. And it was not an automatic no and boy, that, that was a real, real tough situation. And eventually I, I did I did the easy way out and I quit. But if, if you're listening to this today and you are saying, I want to be strategic, I want us to be the department that says yes and I want to be the great communicator. But I have a horrible VP who is determined that we will be that adversary. What's your advice for someone? Do you want them to go to the dark side or is there another way? Uh, I never, never go to the dark side. Uh, you know, I'm a believer that we control our own destiny. And so you've got to play by the rules of the game in your organization, but you have to know those rules. And, and then you have to decide how you are going to implement those rules. So to your, to your example there, I would look at that. And, and I've been in similar situations. And I think that's a situation a lot of folks can identify with. And I I mean, I know for me, I just made a choice that, okay, that's how that person is going to run things, but I'm going to be something different in how I manage and how I control my area of responsibility and the people with whom I'm going to interact. And so uh, sooner or later, people will go around that person. And what we hope is that if we can be their go-to then we can make the difference in the organization that we're trying to make. And so for me, maybe it takes you know, a little bit of a stiff spine, but um, I, I don't, people have said to me, oh, but that'd be career suicide. And, and I look at them and it saddens me because I think, okay, you're willing to sell your soul out um, for, for something you don't believe in. I mean, maybe finding your next opportunity is the better scenario, but stay true to yourself and be the person that you want to be for your people. Cause that's where respect is going to come from. Yeah. And that's something that is so hard to get, but once you lose it, I don't think you ever get it back. So yeah. it's a tough decision, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, people are, people will give you the benefit of the doubt on the respect thing you know, for a couple of weeks, couple of months when they first start to interact with you, but you're right. You burn someone. It's hard to get it back. And, uh, you know, if you do, that's amazing. That you better treat that person like gold because they, they gave you that second chance. But yeah, I you can't get a lot done without respect and trust in the workplace. And while respect is earned, uh, trust is given, and they they do go hand in hand a little bit. But people have to to see you for who you are and that you can help them and want to help them. And that's where the trust comes. And and shortly after that will come respect when you deliver on that. Yeah. Well, on the subject of helping. So Ed, you are an HR strategist. 
How can you help our audience and how can they reach out to you for speaking, consulting? Where do we get the book? How do we engage with, with Ed Michael Crow? <laughs> Um, so, uh, my website is, is real simple. I've got the best website in the world. It's simply edcrow.com. That's E-D-K-R-O-W.com. That is the only place right now where you can find my book. Um, I am resisting the, the dark side of going to Amazon, uh, for now, but, uh, yeah, it's the only place you can get the book. It is a secure transaction, which is great. Um, and you've got choice between hard and, and soft cover out there. Uh, there is also a page uh, to inquire about having me speak at your next event, whether that's a uh, an in-house corporate situation or a you know a trade association conference type thing. Um, I've got a nice little speaker kit out there, and you can see my my highlight reel as well. So I've tried to make my website sort of a one-stop shop for folks uh, that are looking to interact with me. And uh, certainly, I'm I'm out there on Twitter and LinkedIn and all those typical social media places. I've got a, a YouTube channel as well. So uh, if someone wants to find me, they can find me pretty easy, I think. <laughs> Good. Yeah. Well, definitely check out Ed Crow. That's E-D-K-R-O-W.com. And uh, he's in your corner. And this is a lonely business that you're in. I've been there. Ed's been there. You need folks who can be your encouragement, who can be your technical experts, who can pick you up when you fall. And definitely Ed is that guy. So please look him up. Please engage with him. Ed, thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule to be on the show with us. And uh, I look forward to hopefully seeing you at another conference in the near future. And if you are going to them, please post it on LinkedIn so the audience can hopefully see you in person as well. Oh, absolutely. And I, you know, I certainly appreciate you having me on, Mac. I mean, the, the time always flies when you and I have a chance to chat and, and I'm appreciative of you uh, taking some time to have me on your show. Well, thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Boss Builder Podcast, the podcast for those of you who are new to supervision, those of you in the role and struggling, and even those of you who are thinking about one day making the important transition to management. This podcast is just one resource we have. If you check out our website at greatbosstools.com, you can view some other resources we have there. We'd love to have you as part of our courses. If you're listening to this podcast on any podcast app, we'd also appreciate you taking a few moments to give us a review. Positive, of course, it really helps us out. So with that, take care and get out there and make it your goal to be the absolute best boss ever. Mm -hmm.